the book of Matthew, chapter 13. While you're turning, let me mention something to you about the possibility of securing tapes of any of the messages preached here from this pulpit. I can't imagine anybody wanting one, but in case you do, we have changed the method of getting the tapes to you. We used to do it this way. We have a duplicator that will duplicate the tapes in just, um, I think, three or four minutes and does, I think, three at a time. And the tapes can be available immediately after the evening service, um, any service. So if you'd like to have one, if you'll be over here in the foyer up near the office there where there's a little table, the tapes will be available to you after any service. We've tried it some other way and it didn't work at all. And so we, it's been suggested we go back to making them available in this manner following any service if you'd like the tape. So you can get them if you'd like them. Now then, in the 13th chapter of the book of Matthew, we're talking to you tonight about the parable of the pearl of greatest price. Now last Sunday night, we talked to you from verse 44, where it says, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field. Now we uh, tried to take the Bible and to show, and I think the Bible plainly teaches, that that parable has to do with Israel. And we dealt with it last Sunday night in that manner. In verse 44, the parable of the treasure hid in the field. Now tonight, we have a parable that I think sets before us one of the most beautiful truths you could find in the Bible. Verses 45 and 46. Let's notice the Word of God together. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who, when he found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Here is the parable of the pearl of greatest price. Now, in this parable, first of all, I'd like you to see there's a great seeker. And I'm saying that because there's no doubt about who, who this seeker is. This seeker is the Lord Jesus. Now, in these parables, in the 13th chapter of the, of the book of Matthew, Jesus made it clear he is the man that sowed the seed. Jesus made it clear he is the merchant seeking the pearl. He is the man who found the treasure in the field. So this great seeker in this parable is the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm saying that for a reason. Unless you know who the seeker is, you can, we can never know what the parable means. Some folks have interpreted this parable as a, um, a man seeking the Lord. And when he finds the Lord, he said, I found the pearl of greatest price. That cannot possibly be the meaning of this parable, as we'll show you in a moment from the Word of God. There's been a beautiful song written, and I hesitate so much to ruin for you a great song 
But there's been a great song, and I mean it's sung. It has beautiful words. It is, it's been done in this pulpit in a most beautiful manner. And the message of the song is that the sinner has found the pearl of greatest price. Thus he has found the way of joy and the way of gladness. Such is not the interpretation of the parable before us tonight. The great seeker is not the sinner seeking the Lord and finding the Lord the pearl of greatest price. But the great seeker in this parable is the Lord Jesus Christ who finds the pearl of greatest price, which is the church. There's no way in the world you can interpret the parable as a sinner seeking the Lord and finding Him and calling Him the pearl of greatest price. First of all, the Bible plainly teaches sinners do not seek the Lord. Now, wait a minute. Don't, uh, don't say, well, now, preacher, there are verses in the Bible that says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Romans chapter 3, verse 11 says, No man seeketh after God. Whenever you find a sinner who is seeking the Lord, you can always mark it down. The Lord has already done something in his heart. The Lord is the seeker. When the Lord saved Zacchaeus in the wicked city of Jericho, he made the tremendous statement, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. So this parable is not a sinner seeking the Lord. This parable is the Lord seeking sinners and finding the pearl of greatest price. In this parable, something is bought. It could not possibly teach that the sinner buys Christ. Rather, it can easily teach that Christ buys the sinner. You see, the sinner can't buy anything. All the sinner has is filthy rags. And filthy rags would not bring much if they were sold. The sinner is not capable of buying salvation. Over and over again, the Bible teaches that salvation is the gift of God. It is not bought with money. You see, the book of Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 1 says, Come ye to the waters, yea, come by without money and without price. You see, when the sinner comes to the Lord, he is not asked to pay anything. When the sinner comes to the Lord, he is asked to receive something that has already been paid for. So I do not think there's any way you can interpret this parable as the sinner seeking Christ. For if you do, you have to say, when he finds him, he had to spend something in order to purchase him. So the parable cannot be interpreted that way. But it can easily be interpreted as Christ seeking the sinner and finding him and then paying the price 
in order to redeem him. So there are three things in this parable I would like for you to notice tonight. I'd like for you to notice, first of all, the merchant man. It says the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. I would like for you to see, first of all tonight, the merchant man. I would like for you to see, secondly, the pearl of greatest price. And here's one of the most beautiful truths I find in the Bible. The pearl of greatest price. Then I would like for you, thirdly tonight, to see the price paid for the pearl of greatest price. Notice the merchant man, as I've already said, is one who's a seeker. He's seeking goodly pearls. And in his seeking, he finds the pearl of greatest price. And Christ is that seeker. A seeker is one like a merchant man. Many times he'd get on a boat. He leaves one place. He arrives at another in seeking merchandise. That's a picture of Christ. He left the place. Jesus left the most wonderful place in all this universe. He left heaven where there was no sin. He left heaven where there was perfect joy and communion with His heavenly Father. He left that place. He arrived at another. He arrived on this earth about 2,000 years ago. He came as a little babe born in a manger. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. Here's one that knew exactly what he's looking for. This merchant man never had any doubt about what he's seeking. And when he found it, there was no question, but he had found what he was looking for. Many people did not understand that. Jesus did. I think of the tremendous uh, event in the Bible when the Lord met the woman at the well at noonday. And the Lord saved that woman. While, while he was talking to the woman, the disciples had gone to secure food. When they came back, the Bible said, they marveled that he talked with a woman. And they marveled that Jesus would have conversation with this woman, dissolute in character. Six husbands she'd had all, five husbands she'd had already, and the sixth is not hers. A sinful woman, and the disciples marveled that he talked with her. And Jesus said to them, to them I have meat to eat that you know not of. My meat is to do, to finish the will of God. And Jesus saw in that woman what he was looking for. He saw a sinner who needed to be saved. And who by the grace of God could be saved? He knew what he was looking for. He recognized it when he found it. When he found it, he gave up all 
to secure this pearl of greatest price. Now this pearl is a picture of the church. And I would like for you to see uh, some wonderful things that come out of this, this symbolism tonight. That the pearl of greatest price is the blood-bought church of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, a pearl is a strange kind of a jewel. There's no jewel like it. You say, well, the diamond is far more valuable. Yes, in a way. But the pearl has a uniqueness. No other precious stone in this world has or ever could have. The pearl is the only jewel that is produced by a living organism. The diamond, that is not true. The opal, that is not true. No, no jewel, no precious stone men have ever known anything about were produced by a living thing. But the pearl is produced by a living organism. Even the school child knows the story of the pearl. The oyster bedded in the depths of the ocean. The oyster has some foreign body, sometimes a parasite, sometimes a grain of sand. And the story of the pearl is that this living organism has this foreign piece of material, a grain of sand, a, a parasite, invade its body. It brings about suffering. This oyster carries on a process that could only be of God. It lays over layer after layer of what is called nacre, N-A-C-R-E. In order to heal this wound and to relieve this suffering, this living organism produces a process of layer after layer of this secretion from its body, which makes the pearl. And the pearl is the only precious stone that this world knows anything about that comes from a living organism and comes because that living organism has suffered. Oh, what a picture. You see, the church is not just an organization. The church is a living body. And the church is an organism which comes from the living one and comes through the process of his suffering on the cross of Calvary. So the pearl is a picture of the church because it is the only precious stone that's ever produced by a living organism and is produced by that organism suffering and that's the way the pearl is brought about. You know, the pearl is formed slowly and gradually. That's the way the church has been built. Church was not built in a day. I've heard people argue about when the church started. I don't see any use in arguing about it. We all know about when it started. Some folks say it started that day in the 16th chapter of the book of Matthew. When the Lord said, I, I, upon this rock, I will build my church. 
Others say, oh no, that could not be. It started on the day of Pentecost. That probably would be more truthful than any statement we could make. That the church was born on the day of Pentecost. Because that was the time when the Lord did a wonderful thing called the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Once and for all, on the day of Pentecost, God baptized believers into one body called the church of Jesus Christ. And if that be the case, the church has been forming slowly and gradually over a period of nearly 2,000 years. Like the little pearl is not made suddenly. It is not born. It is made gradually and slowly in the depths of the ocean. So the Lord, over a period of 1,900 years, has gradually and slowly been building His church. Now when it will be completely built, no one knows. Because what the Lord is doing and what God is teaching in these parables is that He's calling out of people for His name. They're not the kingdom of heaven. They are the blood-washed, truly saved group. One here, ten there, maybe a hundred here, three thousand on the day of Pentecost. But every time a precious soul is saved, the church of our Lord Jesus is nearer completion than it has ever been before. The pearl is formed slowly and gradually. The pearl is taken from flesh. And you know, the Bible plainly teaches that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And all mankind is looked upon as carnal flesh. And out of this carnal flesh, the Lord has washed the souls of men in the blood of Christ and given them a new divine nature. And the church is taken out of a world of flesh. You see, the pearl comes from a lowly or uh, origin. It lays at the bottom of the sea. It is set in the Bay of Bengal as the greatest source of pearls in all the world. And at the bottom of that bay are all kinds of scavengers and all kinds of sea life that would defy description. But down there is this little oyster, uh, by the, literally by the thousands, where God in that lowly origin is forming the pearl in the body of the oyster. It's an unsightly mess where the pearl comes from. And let me say to you tonight, it's an unsightly place where the church comes from. It comes from people saved out of this wicked, godless world. And every one of us tonight who are saved come from lowly origin. You know, it's good to remember where you came from. I don't like to see people look back and worry over the sins of the past. They're under the blood. They're behind the back of God. They've been blotted out as a thick cloud, buried in the depths of the sea. 
And I don't like to see a Christian worried about the sins of their past. God has forgotten them, so should you. God has forgiven you, you should forgive yourself if you're saved. But I want to say the Bible says something about remember the pit from which you were dug. And you know, no sinner should ever get proud. No sinner should ever think he's done anything great himself because he's been saved. No saint of God should be proud thinking he had a hand in his salvation. We all came from a lowly origin. You know, there's something else about the pearl. The pearl is formed in secret, seen only by the eye of God. You say, preacher, I've seen the church formed. No, not really. You and I have seen the kingdom of heaven in its extension. We've seen people come forward by the hundreds and by the thousands. Some of them saved, some of them not. Only God in heaven sees the forming of the pearl, unseen to the eye of man. And only God in heaven tonight knows who is really in the true church and who is really saved. Because the pearl is formed in secret, seen only by the eyes of God. We see the organized, visible church. You see, the Bible says we're hid with Christ in God. And only God can see really the hidden. We see the outward, the organized. God sees the true as the pearl is formed in secret. So is the church. You know, the pearl has a great future. The pearl comes from this lowly origin. And there are some women, no doubt, in this building tonight who are wearing a beautiful pearl, an earring, or a necklace. Because a pearl has a great future. It is never mentioned in the Old Testament. It is only mentioned in the New because the pearl, the church, is a New Testament truth. And the pearl has a great future. And I want to tell you, when I get to thinking about the, the future of the church, I, I, I almost want to have a, a Pentecostal running fit. Because I tell you, the church has a future. You know, folks, if you think you have been excited and blessed, you wait till your future unfolds. Do you ever read a book and wonder how it's going to all end, out, end up? And uh, you want to cheat a little bit and you, you get over and, and you skip a few chapters and you want to find out, wonder how all this is going to turn out. So you turn over and you read the last chapter. Hallelujah tonight. I've read the last chapter. I've read the glorious book of the Revelation that tells me the future of the church is with the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God in heaven. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. You see, the future of the church is with the Lord. And sometimes 
when people mock at the gospel and make fun of Christians and ridicule the Bible, I feel so good inside because I know the future of the church is with the Lord. So the pearl is a picture of the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. But now the, the, the parable says, when he'd found one pearl, this speaks of the unity. You see, a pearl is a, is a precious jewel that cannot be divided. You can divide a diamond. Most diamonds are divisions of a larger one. But you cannot divide a pearl. In seeking to divide a pearl, you destroy it. The pearl is indivisible. It is the one jewel and one precious stone which cannot be divided. And I want to thank God tonight for the unity of the church. He findeth one pearl of great price. And thank God that true church, that true pearl can never be divided. To divide it would be to destroy it. And it can never be destroyed because it cannot be divided. This speaks of the unity of the church. Now notice the parable says, When the merchant seeking this great pearl, and when he found it, he desired it, he exchanged everything he had for it. This is speaking the price the Lord Jesus paid for the church. Notice the expression, all that he had. You see, Jesus gave everything for this pearl of greatest price. He gave up his home. He had a home in heaven. He, he resided with God, the Father and the Spirit, and with angels. And all the saints who heretofore had gone that way. He gave up his home. He came to a place where Jesus testified he had no home. He said, The birds of the air have nests, foxes of the fields have holes, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. Read sometimes the last chapter of the seventh chapter, of uh, last verse of the seventh chapter of John. And you read this statement, Every man went to his own house. But read the opening verse of the eighth chapter of John. And Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. It could never say in the Bible, Jesus went to his own home. He never had one. He shared good homes like the home at Bethany. But Jesus left his home in heaven and had no home on earth. You think the Bible says he gave all that he had. Think of what he gave. He gave communion with the Father. You say God and Jesus were always in communion. Oh, no. There was a time when he hung on the cross. And the Bible says God is of pure eyes to behold iniquity and cannot look on sin. And on the cross, when God laid on him your sins and mine, Jesus cried, My God, my God, why? Hast thou 
forsaken me. And for one time in all of eternity, God the Father turned His face away from His dear Son because your sin and my sin was upon Him on the cross. You see, He gave up even communion with the Father and cried, My God. He always said, My Father, except in this instance. He said, I and my Father are one. He talked about my Father's house. He said, He that's seen me hath seen the Father, but hanging on the cross. He didn't say, My Father, my Father, why hast thou forsaken me? He said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And you are the answer tonight. The saved person, the pearl of greatest price, is the answer to the question of Jesus. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He gave up communion with a father at a given moment when the Lamb of God, the Son of God, became the Lamb of sacrifice upon whom, whom was laid the sin of the world. You know, Jesus gave up his reputation. They called him everything. Paul said, um, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. We fight for our reputation. We, we almost kill for our reputation. Jesus laid his aside for you and for me. He made himself of no reputation. They called him an illegitimate son. They called him an imposter. They even went so far as to call Jesus a devil. You know why? He gave up everything to buy this pearl of greatest price, including his reputation. He gave up something else. He gave up immediate kingship. Why, when Jesus, one week before he was crucified, he sent two disciples for the little donkey, the little beast of burden. The Lord sat upon it and entered the city of Jerusalem. They said, Hail, thou king of the Jews. They took their uh, palm leaves and they laid them in the path of the little beast of burden. They took off their garments and put them down for the little donkey to pass over. And they cried, Hail him. Had Jesus wanted to, he could have accepted the kingdom, but it would have left out you and me. One week later, those who said, Hail him, said, Nail him. And they nailed him because Jesus put off his kingship to that glorious day when the church is formed and finished and he comes back with his church to rule and to reign. All that he had, the Bible says. He gave up all that he had. You know, he never gave up his deity. But uh, my, what a change. You find deity covered with manhood. No one had ever seen anything like that before. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians, or first, 2 Timothy 3.16, Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. No one had ever seen anything like it before. Deity covered with manhood. 
for the Lord Jesus was born and confined his deity in the body of a little baby. All that he had. He gave up all that he had. Jesus paid the greatest price. Aren't you glad tonight the Lord sought the one, one unified pearl of greatest price, which is the blood-bought church, and was willing to pay the price that we might be saved and be a part of it and enjoy the glorious future when the Lord shall come to receive his own. Let's bow our heads for prayer.